Alright, well let's turn to First uh, Peter. First Peter chapter 4. Now, something, I guess, well it's not different, but my heart was stirred a week ago in relation to what I want to minister this morning and it was pretty much born out of our previous prayer meeting we had um, not long ago, uh, the Friday week prior and... <clears throat> And, uh, and it was a tremendous prayer meeting for those that were present. There was, uh, like I said, there was quite a number of folks that had gathered this particular day and, and um, we were stirred because of some of the issues that we had uh, were brought to our attention on the day and we began to engage earnestly in prayer and it was a wonderful time and blessing for those that had attended. And so, kind of this message was laid upon my heart uh, during that period and so uh, I want to look at and continue this issue and to look at in the Word of God concerning prayer. And so, again, as, uh, as the Lord continues to direct me, I, I want, I, I'm, again, I'm highlighting and harnessing a serious tone or disposition towards it. And so even in saying that, um, what I want to preach this morning is I pray that the, it just doesn't come forth from my head but my heart because what the Lord has spoken to me uh, uh, is something that I, I, is, He's spoken to us all. So as I preach the message, this message this morning, you know, as a preacher, as someone who would stand to preach God's word, it first and foremost applies to me. And these things get filtered. Uh, uh, the word of God gets filtered in the individual first and uh, in, in the manner in which it is to come forth. And so I'm very acutely mindful of that. And so uh, I am stirred, I am challenged, I am convicted by some of the aspects that we're considering. Because, you know, we live in a blessed nation, don't we? I mean, we hear about Fiji and, and the uh, circumstances and situations also in the Philippines and uh, the needs that are surrounding them. And here we are in Australia, we're, we're a blessed nation. I mean, we just, you know, we've got, we, we've got so much. We've got so much welfare. We've got, I mean, when we, we've got nothing to complain about, seriously. And, um, and so, in, in, uh, and, and you know, in a sense, okay, it's great to be blessed, but there are some inherent dangers with that, which is what we're going to touch upon uh, this morning. Because you know, when you when you've got nothing, all you've got is God. You know, that's why you have all these uh, uh, movements uh, in these third world nations because you know, they've got nothing, and they call out to God in their desperation, in their need, and uh, in light, and God becomes the absolute everything because they have nothing, and so. Maybe that's what we need in this nation to bring us to our knees and to seek the Lord. But like I said, I want to deal with the issue of prayer this morning. And I want to look at the proper, a proper practice or disposition of prayer as we come before the Lord. Not just saying a prayer, not just praying as such, but you know, when, when we engage in prayer, when we practice the pr- uh, a prayer, that we would have an understanding of how to pray. Now, what I mean by that is not what Jesus said, you know, this is how you should pray and he laid out a pattern. I'm talking about a disposition. A disposition, because one of the things I've learned, and no doubt you would have as well over your journey as a Christian, is you have to be in the right frame of mind to pray effectively and to pray purposefully. 
and I know that if I'm not in the right frame of mind, it has an impact upon my prayer. You know, I have to be focused. I have to be in a place of silence for the most part if I'm privately praying. You know, I don't want to be distracted by this or that because I need to be. I need to bring my thoughts and my mind in and my spirit into alignment in terms so that I can begin to pray and engage in productive prayer. Not just go through some mechanics or some kind of motion, but really engage. Because when I am in that state of mind, my mind is sharp. My mind is alert. My mind is focused on what it is I want to, what I'm praying about. And, uh, and the kids will know, don't disturb dad if he's praying. Because I'm focused. I don't want to talk about other things. I don't want to be distracted in any way. Because my mind is, is, uh, is in that place. And so, really, what we're harnessing here and what we're talking about is a serious disposition towards prayer. And so, in terms of our state of mind, it's very easy to be distracted in prayer, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, there's so many aspects that can encroach upon our prayer life and so, therefore, you, know, you could go into a time of prayer but because you have not mentally engaged but you've gone through some motion sometimes, you can come out and feel as though, you know what, I didn't really pray. You may have been there for a period of time but that doesn't equate to prayer. It doesn't matter whether it's a, you can engage in prayer for one minute and you could be for, uh, for, for half an hour and accomplish more in one minute than half an hour because of the nature and disposition of that prayer of that moment of time. And so in our prayer meeting we, we just had Brother James, um, as we, each time we bring a word of exhortation and encouragement before we come to the Lord in prayer, uh, he spoke about the issue of travailing prayer and the need to um, uh, really begin to labour in prayer, the need to really kind of make that extra effort in prayer rather than just go through some motion of prayer. And so, if we're going to embrace that, if we're going to practice that, then what came to my mind and what I want to speak about this morning is the issue of us being serious in our prayers. And there's a particular scripture that we're going to refer to here and start with in First Peter chapter 4 that specifically from the New King James at least refers to the word but we'll do some more research on that as we proceed. But let's just read that portion of text, verse number 7 and uh, we'll go from there. But Peter is writing and he says these words. He says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your Prayers. Let's read it again. Be, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Now this is an interesting portion of text because obviously Peter has been writing previously this letter and he's dealing with issues that revolve around Christian conduct and the Christian life and practical living and orderly ordering our conduct aright as a Christian in relation to suffering and submission and various other things. And as he proceeds through all of this, there's a shift in verse 7. That's why we have the word but... 
that's being put in here and, and, but the end of all things is at hand and therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And so this is one of the first of a number of instructions that he, uh, or exhortations that he proceeds with. There's more in verse 8 and 9 and, uh, and onwards but we're not going to cover that. We just want to look at what he says here. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. He's wanting to heighten their attention. He was wanting to heighten their focus because he's talking about the, the mundane and the, re, the re, reality of life that is for those Christians in that time. And in doing so, it's very easy sometimes to get so caught, at, caught up in that that you can lose, be so short-sighted and uh, he's wanting to bring their attention and focus to the understanding but the end of all things is at hand or begin to realise that we are in the times of the end. Let's have a perspective of what it is that we're dealing with. And so if it applied to Peter's day, how much more would it apply today? In the world that we're living in and in all that goes on from day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, we as Christians have a spiritual mind or at least are supposed to have a spiritual mind where we are understanding the times in which we live and how much more does it apply today when Peter says, but the end of all things is at hand. We are in the time of the end, Amen. We are in the last days and have been, obviously, as the prophet Joel foretold, but now we are in the, the end of the end, if you want to put it in those words. Because the time is short. And so we need to have that perspective, especially in light of everything that goes on around us in the world in which we're a part of and the nation in which we live. He says in verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. So you have the word therefore. Therefore, it's time to have a right disposition, a right focus, and it's time to be serious in your prayers or when you practice prayer. As you engage in your prayer, you don't just... Pray, but you pray, amen, with a mind and with an understanding and with an intent about the time in which you live and what it is that you are engaging the Lord about and that you would take this disposition to your prayer life is what Peter is saying. You see, the attitude of prayer is critical. It's very important. You can't approach prayer and practice prayer without having the right frame of mind because otherwise you can engage in all kinds of activities. That's why you hear people that, you know, that's why Jesus condemned repetitious prayer. I mean, how can you pray repetitiously and be serious? I mean, there's no engagement in things of that sort. And, uh, you know, have you ever entered into prayer yourself and had your mind be cluttered with so many things? I've had that experience. I still battle that experience. I mean, does, am I the only one here? I mean, you, there's, you, you, you come before the Lord and you're, uh, for some people we're thinking about what we're going to eat in 10 minutes. <laughs> I don't know, we laugh, but I mean, you know, our mind can wander. And, uh, uh, you know, we're coming in prayer and we're thinking about, you know, who knows what. 
But our mind, if we don't, if we're not disciplined in our mind, if we're not serious in our approach, then uh, we will uh, uh, be cluttered and sidetracked in our thoughts and rendering our prayer ineffective. And our heart and mind is not really where it should be. And the truth is, is you can't be effective in this state of mind. You can't pray according to the exhortation that Peter's giving here when he says, be serious and watchful in your prayers. You just can't qualify in there. And so when Peter says this, he's saying this for our edification. He is saying this for our spiritual well-being, that we would be spiritually healthy and we will maintain a healthy spiritual life and to do that we understand the basics of, of seeking the Lord but also you have to have a, if I can use the word, a proper prayer life. You have to practice prayer in a disciplined manner and this is in reality what Peter is referring to because when Peter uses the word serious, what is it that he is saying? And what's interesting is the Greek word for serious in this instance simply means to think soberly, to be sane and to be in your right mind. It's uh, in the new, in, sorry, in the King James version. It reads as uh, that you would be sober. The King, new King James is the word serious. In the King James, it says that you would be sober in your prayers. In the Amplified Bible, it says that you would be of a sound mind and self-restrained in your prayers. Again, we're talking about a disciplined mind and that's why in the New Living Translation you, translation, you will find it says earnest and disciplined in your prayers. And so the exhortation is the disposition that is effective to pray effective. And we would do well to heed this for our own benefit and the longevity and the, the years that, that we are continue to walk with the Lord. He says, be serious, and then he says, be watchful. Be watchful. And that word watchful simply means this, just means to be sober. And it means to abstain from wine. Well, that's a good start, isn't it? <laughs> You know, you don't want to. I mean, again, when we just look at it at a very base and basic level, uh, you know, we don't want to uh, uh, be in any intoxicated state, uh, because of course, how can you engage in any form of prayer in that state of mind? But you see, Peter is not talking about being physic. You know, when he says be watchful or the word being sober, uh, he's not talking about not being drunk in the physical sense. You see, he's talking about the state of mind that is required in order to uh, um, be of the mind required to pray. You see, because what happens to one, the mind, to one who's physically intoxicated? We know that, don't we? By experience or by observation, you understand that alcohol has an impact upon the mind where it is undisciplined where it is cast off, where it, there, is, there is no soundness of mind. That's why people say and do stupid things because they are intoxicated that they lose the ability to exercise any form of discipline mentally and in their mind. We understand that but when you take that and when you make a spiritual application of the same principle then what happens to the spiritual mind that is intoxicated this morning? 
What happens to the spiritual mind that can be intoxicated, not with wine in the literal sense, but rather I'm talking about the intoxicating effects of the world. I'm talking about the intoxicating effects to be carnally minded. I'm talking about the intoxicated effects of being fleshly minded, worldly minded, however you want to describe it in all its variations and forms for us revealed in the word of God, it tells us that to be of a fleshly carnal mind is death. Romans chapter 8 is death. And so, how can a person in a spiritual state who is intoxicated with wine in the extreme forms of, uh, of carnality and of the world, how can one be spiritual and engage in any serious prayer? It's not possible. That's right. It's not possible. You see, in Revelations chapter 17, verse 2, let me illustrate this further. It says, With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. You see, now let me read it again. Whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. In other words, when it talks about intoxication, it's not talking physically here. It's talking spiritually and, and and of the soul, obviously, in terms of the mind. They are drunk, they are intoxicated with the fornication of the world system, Babylon in this instance, and, and this is how the world is. But the sad reality is, is the Christian can become intoxicated too. And this is why we must be mindful of this, especially in the context of the the day in which we're living. You see, we've got more that we have to battle with. We've got more temptations that are before us. And if we don't, we've got to be on guard more than others because of, of, of the nature of life as it is here in Australia because we can easily become intoxicated with the world. And we're we're being warned of this in the Bible, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, Now, really, is it just wine, physical wine, that Paul is talking about? I don't believe it is. It's a metaphor. It may incorporate wine in, 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 the, in alcohol in that, in that sense, but that's not primarily what is being referred to here. It's talking about the spiritual dynamics and the, that which relates to the realm of the soul and we do not want to be drunk with the wine. We are to be filled with the spirit because if you're filled with the world, you can't be filled with the spirit, can you? And so you're going to be intoxicated with one or the other in a sense. But you see, we are to be filled with the Spirit and if we are not filled with the Spirit, then we'll be filled with something else. And it's not won't be wine in the literal sense, although it could be for some, but rather here we're talking about uh, an indulgence of the world that is, uh, brings about an intoxication and a contamination and in the context of prayer, how can one engage and be serious in prayer? You can't. You see... I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 21. Luke 21. 
There's a portion of text or scripture, yeah, one scripture here that we want to we want to consider because Jesus is here and we have him speaking about the times of the end and that, that is its context and obviously it has a relevance to the Jew in the time of the end but it also speaks a principle of truth to us as the, the people of God and in verse 34 of Luke's Gospel chapter 21 it says Jesus is speaking but he says take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and cares of this life and that day come on you unexpectedly. Now what is interesting is really when you look at these words and you look at Peter's words in, in 1 Peter 4, 7, our text, really Peter is in a sense echoing what Jesus had already stated. Right here in, this, in, in the words of Jesus Christ we find the same principles uh, being, uh, and, and words being spoken of and they relate to the end of the age. The end, the end of all things is at hand. It relates to the issue of prayer, which is what we're considering here. That's the context that we're focusing on. And it talks about having a soberness of mind. It talks about having a sound mind. That's in effect what Jesus is saying when you, as we look at verse 34 here in the, in, in the Gospel of Luke. He says, take heed to yourselves. Now he's talking about the heart. And isn't it interesting that uh, that word to take heed means to guard or to, 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 to monitor. And so in the sense, uh, Proverbs chapter 4 verse 18 says, uh, um, uh, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it spring forth the issues of life. And that's why we've got to be careful about what we feed ourselves what we allow ourselves to watch and hear and partake of because what goes in is what will come out. As I have always said to my kids, what goes into the mind will come out in the life. And so if you're not guarding your heart and you're taking in and you're being intoxicated with the the carnality and the flesh and the worldliness of the world, then what's going to come out? The, The world you will end up and you will begin to practice and you'll begin to conduct yourself and you'll begin to act like and yet the Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it will spring forth the issues of your life and later on in life as we take the time to consider some of the issues that we have to deal with, isn't it interesting you trace things back and you say, yep, right there. Why did I make that choice? Why did I do that? Why did I partake of that? Why did I compromise there? because now I'm dealing with issues because I failed to guard right there. This is true. This is how it works. So we're being urged to take heed to ourselves, to guard our hearts. And so Jesus is giving us a warning here when he says, lest lest your hearts be weighed down. This is the first thing he's saying. You need to take heed to yourself unless first and foremost your heart is weighed down. That word is speaking, again, uh, to be overburdened. To be overburdened and to be uh, uh, depressed, in a sense, by the weight and the heaviness. In the King James, it uses the words, lest your heart speak, I think it's supercharged. 
so super, I don't know, it's supercharged and so in a sense where there is so much that's going on, there's so much that's coming in that you are supercharged or in the sense that the effect of that will be it will weigh you down. It will, it will depress your life. It will begin to weigh upon you in an unhealthy manner and this is what Jesus is saying, lest your hearts be weighed down. Beware lest our hearts be weighed down. Weighed down with what? Well, this is what he says. With the Firstly, he says with carousing. In the, again, I'm reading from the New King James. With carousing. This word, literally again, in the Greek... I'll just read it as it states it here. It says, A headache as a seizure of pain from drunkenness. A headache. And so, now think about that because this is what happens when you are weighed down, when you are depressed by, uh, in an unhealthy manner, in in in, in an overcharged state where there's too much on your plate, so to speak, because this, you've allowed these things to happen and it presses down and to the, the point where uh, in a state of carousing, this, that's what, this is what has caused it and the result is that it has caused you much grief of mind. See, how can you be in such a state and pray with seriousness? You can't. And so, uh, the, the word literally means to indulge one. The, the point being here, the headache is a result of one who indulges themselves in pleasure to the point of harming oneself. And Sean was talking about food before and we understand that in the purely physical sense, if you eat too much, like I did the other day, what happens? Do you feel in the right frame of mind? If you've overeaten? No, you feel, oh, I think I'll go down, lay down. You feel, I don't even want to talk about it because I'm convicted. I am. Don't go to Lazy Moe's. They, they put too much food on your plate. And so, oh, if you drink too much, you know, the effects, it plays out physically. Well, how much more if we are carousing in, a, in the world around us and we are feeding our minds and our souls, our spirits, so to, uh, uh, all that the world is, is offering us, aren't we not going to be in the same state? Of course we are. So lest be warned, lest your heart be weighed down with carousing. The, uh, uh, again, the, the King James Version uses the word with surfeiting. It's an interesting word. Probably good for the modern age, surfeiting. Surfeiting, yeah, everyone's thinking, yeah, surfing the net, surfing the net. <laughs> surfeiting. You know, you've got, you can be carousing so much on the internet that your mind gets so boggled, it's like, because you're overcharged, you know? I'm way down. You ever been, again, I'm illustrating it, but it serves the purpose. You ever been like that? I know I have. And so, the, um, the word, again, in the Amplified, means to be a giddiness and headache and nausea of self-indulgence. And when we indulge ourselves with carousing, in excess, actually in the New King James in the, uh, in, in the, the column here it has the word dis, dissipation and that word literally uh, it means to be unrestrained in indulgence and in physical pleasure. It's an excess. It means excessive expenditure. Hmm. So we have needs but you see we can be excessive, can't we? In our, we can be just lavish 
lavish. I mean, that's what the world does because it's got excess, so it lavishes itself in an un, in terms of wastefulness. And, and and also under the definition of dissipation, it says amusement and diversion. In other words, lest your heart be weighed down with carousing, that you are so self-indulged in so many different variations and in different forms that you are deeply affected, that you have a headache from these things, so to speak. And so it's a wasteful form of life. You know, when we talk about the prodigal son and the Bible says he wasted his possessions on prodigal living, on wasteful living, on excess, thinking, you know what, this is, oh, this is great, but you know what happened to him, don't you? He got a headache. <laughs> He got so intoxicated with the, with the world that he made himself spiritually sick. And that's what, that's a, and again, that's an illustration of how this works. And like I said, it goes far more than, you know, I was reading this and studying this and commentators look at some of these uh, uh, verses that we're just considering and they refer only, they make it only apply to physical food and drink. And though it may have an application there, it is my conviction that it is talking way beyond that. And I pray that that's what you're capturing as we move through this. So Jesus says, beware of, lest your heart be weighed down with carousing. Then he says, with drunkenness. Now, again, that simply means intoxication. I think we've already covered that from Peter. And so, but again, the same principle is being illustrated. And so we don't need to go any further with that. Then he says, and the cares of this life. Now, is it wrong to have cares in this life? Absolutely not. But the context is, is when those cares are out of proportion, when those cares are out of kilter, when we're dealing with a level of anxiety. See, God knows our cares and concerns. But you see, when you are overcharged, when you are weighed down with all these things because of this and for that and whatever reason, the result is, is that you, and you can be overwhelmed with the cares of this life to the point where it's unhealthy. It produces a level of anxiety and it occupies your mind where you're constantly thinking about this and you're thinking about that, thinking about this and thinking about that, that you have no time for God in your thoughts. And again, how can you engage in any serious prayer in such a state of mind? You can't. So we can't fulfil what the exhortation that we find here. See, we've got to guard our hearts, otherwise we'll be gripped by the issues of life to an unhealthy extent. And that's what we're being warned of here through Jesus himself and to the point that Jesus says, and, the, and that day come on you unexpectedly. Because, you know, the coming of the Lord and that day, whether you, it's the day of the Lord or the rapture, but whenever the context be, it's the same because we are, the Bible says, to be ready. We, 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 we look up for our redemption draws nigh. Paul says in Thessalonians, we're not those that are in the dark, that this day should overcome us as a thief in the night. It'll come as the world but not for us because we're waiting, we're expecting, we're watching, our minds are fixed and we're serious. But Jesus says, if you're in this state of mind, then that day will come on you unexpectedly because your mind is not geared towards this. Your mind and your disposition of heart is completely out of kilter and as God would not have it so. And it's a dangerous place to be in. See, we're exhorted time and time again to watch, therefore, and watch. 
You know, think about Jesus' warning when he says, remember Lot's wife. And so there's obviously a few things we can draw from that, but what we can say wholeheartedly is that she was exactly as Jesus spoke. She was carousing in Sodom. She was drunk from Sodom, intoxicated by the way, you know, we know that because she looked back. When it, time to, when it got time to get real serious and the angel of the Lord said, don't look back, she couldn't help but because her heart was attached and the cares of this life were all attached. So she had an unhealthy attachment to the world where she was intoxicated and, the, and, and there it was, she faced the judgment of God at that moment of time and became a pillar of salt. And see, Jesus is warning us that we would take heed because we would remember Lot's wife because I tell you, we don't want to be in that place. We want to be ready. We want to be expectant. We're waiting for that trumpet to sound, amen, and uh, we are ready to go and we are looking up, amen. Yes, we live in this life. Yes, we've got a function and yes, there are elements of things that we can enjoy but we must understand what we are dealing with and what's important because this world, especially the things in this nation, will steal your heart and affections. So here are all these examples that we find in the scriptures. And the reality is that one cannot, improp- can, one cannot properly engage in the practice of prayer that Peter exhorts an individual to in that state of mind. It's just impossible. Jesus says in verse 36 of Luke 21, he says, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. You see, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch. Be sober in your mind and pray. And when you pray, pray with a soberness of mind because we're switched on, we're acutely aware of what's going on around us and the time that we're living in and this computes into our prayer life and the quality of our prayer life when we pray. So in light of all of that, what is one to do if they are in a state of intoxication? See, the question is, how much does it take a person to get drunk? Physically. They tell us. There's no real set amount, is there? Because what one person can digest, the other person can't. So you've got to consider these things. Well, so-and-so can do this. But you know what? If you do it, it affects you in a, certain, in a certain way that's unhealthy to your spiritual well-being. So therefore, you have to deal with it. You understand what I'm saying? So we have to realise. I remember speaking to Iron Morgan once, and he says, "You know, Gary, I had to stop playing checkers because I used to go to prayer, and I used to think about the next move." Yeah. And he laughed. It is. It's stupid, but that's human nature, isn't it? We think checkers. I couldn't give a hoot about checkers. But you see, when something grips your heart, it doesn't matter how much, it can, it can intoxicate your mind and it can contaminate your prayer life. And when it contaminated his prayer life, the Lord said to him, you've got to stop it. But, but, but so-and-so plays checkers. Why can't I play checkers? Hmm. You see, when someone's drunk physically... Sometimes it's good just to get a buck of water. And go, <laughs> or maybe, you know, just maybe give him a few slaps. I don't know. Not that I'm going to do that this morning. 
But I'm trying to get your attention. Amen. (laughs) But the Lord would speak to us and that we would examine our hearts, that we would somehow take this disposition and say, okay, Lord, you know, really, let's, let's, let's weigh together our prayer lives. It's one thing to come together corporately, but privately, how is your prayer life? Is it disciplined? Is it serious? Is your approach as it should be? And let's be honest with ourselves. Let's not kid ourselves. Let's consider these things. It was Keith Green who wrote that song. He says, The world is sleeping in the dark and the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. And so, you know, sleepy Christians can happen. The Bible says, Wake up! Amen. Wake up! Wake up! And I know people hate to hear that, especially when you're in bed and someone, you know, comes in and says, Wake up! It's not pleasant, it's agitating. But God would say to us this morning, the Spirit of God would say to us maybe, wake up, wake up. Get out of bed and pray. Or stop, don't watch that, that TV, the TV, pray. Don't do this, pray, seek me. I don't know, but the Lord is faithful to speak to each of us. Let's go to Romans chapter 13. You can turn there with me. Romans chapter 13. Again, we're considering this in the context of prayer, so let's just keep that in mind. But Paul's obviously writing and he's giving a practical advice and instruction in chapters 12 and 13. And in the chapter 13, verse 11, Paul says, And do this, knowing the time. There it is again, a reference to time. We've got to know the time. Be mindful because when you get intoxicated, you don't know what time it is. Oh, is it that time? <laughs> it's just COVID, you don't even know. Know the time. That now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armour of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfil its lusts. Paul's warning us against being intoxicated. He says, know the time. Again, the same things are being reiterated. Know the time. He's saying abstain from, in, in verse 13, you can interpret that as don't be, go around carousing with the world. Don't go around and being drunk with drunkenness or being, uh, and, and so forth and with the cares of this life. It's the same principles that are being highlighted and touched upon. And so if we're going to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Bible says you have to make no provision for the flesh to fulfil its lusts. And that's the challenge, isn't it? That's the daily challenge for all of us, to make no provision for the flesh. Because if you feed the flesh, then I remember complaining to God once in prayer, and I can't remember specifically now what it was about, but I remember clearly what the Lord said to me. 
and it stopped me in my prayers, it stopped me in my track because I was complaining about something before the Lord and the Lord said to me, stop feeding your flesh. And I just like, yeah. It just arrested my mind and got my attention and I began to realise if I will make no provision then it won't be an issue. Stop feeding your flesh and you won't have to deal with the issue. Guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. And I began to rip the air. And so this is what we're being called to do and if we're going to engage in prayer in the manner in which Peter is exhorting us and instructing us to, then we have to take these things into consideration to develop and harness the disposition that God would have us. To be sober and alert can only come when we're not contaminated by the things of this world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, all these things corrupt us. And I know we think we can handle these things, but uh, that's not the case. You know, so many people say, oh, well, I can handle a drink or two. Can you? Can you? Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. And so don't be so overconfident about some things. You know, again, sometimes it's our own arrogance and we're our our own worst enemy. And so, (coughs) the Bible says, don't be deceived. So the question I just want to put to us as I conclude this morning is, as we, we consider these things, is are we of a sober mind? Are you of a sober mind? Are we aligned to prayer? as God would have us to be. Are we? Because we could all say we could pray more. And we could all say when I do pray, I could really make sure that I shut that door and I separate myself and I get into a place and I do business with God. I'm getting serious with God. Would to God that people would get serious with God. It starts in prayer when you call upon the Lord. And so there's the private aspect of this but there's the corporate aspect and that's what also I want, to, I want to encourage us in because like I said a couple of weeks ago it was greatly encouraging to see so many come together and you know we sang the songs as we usually do but you know and then there was some words spoken but you see it was that word that alerted us to some of the dynamics of the world that we're living in and that of our need to fight and, and get serious in prayer and I remember we prayed that day and we engaged in prayer and people called upon the Lord on various things and issues but, but it was a, a serious disposition that had come upon us and it made the, the, the prayer time special uh, for not because of the numbers but because of the spirit that was harnessed in, during that time. And so I want to encourage you to pray privately. Maintain the Bible says be serious and so my question to you is are you serious are you sober in mind you know that's why you've got to ask yourselves I'm the type too I say I mean this can be so little but let me illustrate you know I don't know what you like but I grew up and liked music I can listen to a song on on the radio and ten minutes later I can sing a word without even being subliminally conscious that I sang it has anyone has that ever happened to anyone you listen to something because you're just being subjected to it then ten minutes later you sing it and you go why am I singing that where did I hear that from because the things that go in are very serious that's why I say you've got to be careful you can't you can't have a spiritual mind and feed on some of the music that is in this world you can't have a spiritual mind and feed on some of the stuff on the TV and think it doesn't affect you it's, it, 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 it can't 
You've got to uh, uh, maintain and guard this. And so, you know, otherwise you'll find yourself, what goes in will come out. And, and, and especially when it comes to prayer, if you're going to begin to sit down and spend some time with the Lord, it's amazing what things will spring to your mind to interfere with your prayer life. And so I say this just to bring it to our attention so that we can sharpen ourselves or if we are not serious this morning, then let, let us get serious. Confess our indifference to prayer. Confess our laziness to pray. Confess our half-heartedness. Confess our love for the world. Repent before the Lord and say, God, I have, this has affected me and, I, and, and is, I'm intoxicated, I'm drunk on the world and the things of the world. You see, we may have left our first love, we may have drifted away from our moorings for whatever reason. So then I say to you this morning, let's get back, let's get serious and be watchful in your prayers. Get before God, do business with God, confess your sin, repent, whatever it is that's required, but get on that right footing and so that you can go out from this place and you can begin to be serious in your prayer life in that you can continue to be earnest and disciplined in your approach because uh, the moment you walk out of these doors today, the enemy is going to challenge. He's going to assault. He's going to throw some cares into your life and so back Monday morning's on, the alarm's up, I'm frantic, I haven't got no time for God. You can't. You have to make time for God. You have to be serious enough to say, you know what, this time's God's time and that's that. And if we're busy, we've got to factor it in. Somehow, otherwise we'll just drift, we'll neglect. We can't afford to do that. And so, let's cast off the works of darkness. The Bible says Christ will give us light. Awake you who sleep and Christ will give us light. And so let's just come before the Lord this morning and uh, understand Paul, uh, Peter's exhortation to us to be serious and to be watchful in your prayers because the end is at hand. Let's pray. Father, we just bless your holy name. Lord, I trust again, O God, that through the word of the Lord that you are so faithful to speak to us because I know, God, how these things apply to me and I'm sure, Lord, they apply to us all in one form or another. And I pray, O God, that we would set the course. We would set ourselves to seek you. We would, Lord, determine that we're going to be serious because if we're not serious, then we will neglect, we will drift, we will, we, we, we will fail and fall short. We have to be deliberate in this, Lord. We have to be intentional. We have to be serious. That's the disposition that we must take to prayer. And when we come to pray, Lord, we must put aside all things and we must bring ourselves into that spiritual mindedness in which, Lord, we can pray as we ought to pray. Being watchful, sober, a sound mind, a disciplined mind that we can pray effectively and purposefully, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.